0: Boarding school was uh, amazing. It was life changing. I met a really positive, like, social circle, really positive teachers. And though I was struggling emotionally and I was very angry and sad, it, like, I definitely found a community of support and structure. I needed structure and routine. I love routine. And, you know, it takes time and years, but, and as there's always a process in my 20s and my 30s, we constantly grow in our, our relationship reshapes and healing is done and apologies are made and it just you know there's it's never too late for us this is rx chill pill
1: now is the time to stay well Each episode teaches your brain how to become resilient with amazing stories, knowledge from experts, and short meditations you can do anywhere, anytime to elicit your relaxation response. I'm your host, Dr. Juna Bobby, resilience and stress management physician and mother of two amazing kids. Hello, and today I'm here with Dr. Good. How great is that name? She just got her PhD and she is the first person and her family to even graduate high school. She talks to us today about her incredible journey and growth from growing up in a traumatic household to becoming the dean of a master's program. As with so many incredibly resilient people that I meet, you'd never know from Rebecca's bubbly and inspirational exterior how much she's been through. Also stick around to hear a real live implicit bias unfolding in real time. Let's see if you get sucked up in the implicit bias story as well. Hi, Rebecca.
0: Hello. Hello. So good to see you. Good to see you, too. I'm so glad that we could get together and do this. So you're in the office today. I see. I am am in the office today. Better Wi-Fi in the office than at home.
1: (laughs) So it's almost our one year anniversary meeting.
0: I know I was just doing um, getting prepared for the virtual Ed Summit for, uh, that's coming up next month. And I was like, oh, this is so tight. Like, like this is a year ago
1: that we met. Yes, oh, excellent. You know, I'm gonna try to join that. I I went last year in Philly, and that's where we met. This year, obviously, it's virtual. Yeah. How do you feel about that?
0: Uh, It's going to be different, but what's exciting about it is we're going, I mean, right now, I think we have over a 1,000 people signed up to come and to log Mm. in, so that, I, it just now more people have access to really exciting, like presentations and talks. And Angela's gonna be there, and we have Mark Brackett from Yale, and we've got uh, Jason Jason O'Connor from um, UC Berkeley. It's like really interesting, really interesting talks and work, especially a lot around empathy this um, this year. So I think it's gonna be great.
1: That's fantastic. And we mean Angela Duckworth. Yes, Angela
0: Duckworth, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And this is an awesome summit. Will they be accepting registrations right up to?
0: Oh, that's a really good question. I imagine so. They're not limiting- virtual? Yeah, it's virtual. And so to sign up for the sessions, um, I'm imagining you can probably get in right beforehand. And they are capping some of the sessions just because they're really interactive, but I think it should be fine. So focus is on empathy. The focus, there's a lot of work on empathy and how to create empathetic relationships at different Mm -hmm. levels of between children and like school community.
1: So uh, creating a community
0: for the kids. Yeah, creating a community and relationship for the kids. There's also this is uh, an Ed Summit that's going to talk a lot about social emotional learning um mark bracket he does the the ruler approach yes. um, and so that then like that's going to be a really great conversation and discussion and so timely considering you know what our young people and what all people are experiencing in 2020 right now so it's going to be really valuable it's like valuable for adults that work with children but also just valuable for adults who are processing their own emotions
1: I would love to see that. So I'm going to sign up for sure. Good, sign up.
0: What are you teaching? Um, I'm going to be doing so every year that I've done Ed Summit. I, I work with the researchers to bring their their incredible research kind of to the classroom. And so my background as a teacher, I have the ability to say, "Oh, this is really great stuff. How do we create a space where it's really accessible for teachers and and for kids?" And so this one's going to be on building. Uh, empathic relationships between either elementary school teachers and elementary students, secondary school teachers and secondary students, or um, school support like school counselors, your coaches, those relationships with students of all ages. And so thinking about how we can leverage those really strong relationships and empathy tools to just strengthen communication and connection between adults and kids.
1: Amazing. Amazing. And I know that at Relay, you guys teach teachers how to teach. I mean, I read an article about how, you know, you get so specific, even touching someone on the back while you give a correction or whispering a correction instead of saying it out loud in front of every, right? Yes. So
0: at Relay, we are teachers that are teaching teachers. And though, yes, we are um, faculty and professors and deans, all of us have a background as a K-12 teacher at some point in our career, and we really touch on not just the theory behind teaching, but all the nuances that go into creating a really joyful and supportive classroom space for kids. Now, a virtual space, which is which is
1: a whole new ballgame. <laughs> Amazing. But you were doing some virtual stuff before, right? Yeah.
0: Our, so you telling me... Yes, our programs are mostly hybrid programs. And so the students go online a little bit, and then they'll have um, sessions in, online in person now, or in-person virtual. <laughs>
1: <laughs> These are your teachers who come to train with you. And now you just, um, so did, is that how you met Angela Duckworth? Is that how you started collaborating
0: with her? So I met Angela in through Ed Summit. I was asked to join by our Relay president, Dr. Mamie Hostetter, um, to join the kind of teaching team. And then, and in that, um, after a few years, we just became, like, I just became kind of a regular staple of Ed Summit. Like, I just, I'm, I'm one of the, <laughs> I enjoy it so much. It gets me in in touch with teachers and educators from around the world. And, um, so that's how we got connected.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And you, you do exude a lot of joy. So I (laughs) loved your, (laughs) I loved your, um, we can laugh at the same time, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. So I just, I loved your breakout session because you have so much joy and energy, you know? So, and I know something really interesting happened just this year. You became a doctor, PhD. (laughs) And I love saying your name because you're Dr. Good now. Dr. Good. I'm Dr. Good. That's (laughs) amazing. (laughs) That's the best name. (laughs) So tell us about that and how you got Relay in Connecticut now to be able to distribute master's degrees, right? Yes. So last last
0: summer, about this time, I completed my uh, doctoral degree. I I defended um, a year ago my research and my degree is from the University of Southern California in Global Education. And my research that I was defending was about the role of our local state legislators and politicians in diversifying our teaching workforce. So I worked really closely with our state um, legislators, house representatives and senators, around what bills and legislations and laws essentially are creating barriers for aspiring educators of color. And what can we do to adjust those and change those laws um, it was incredible research, it was an incredible program and none of that would have been possible unless Relay had kind of stepped in a few years ago and said, we want to sponsor you to move forward with your doctoral degree in understanding that to open a graduate school of education in Connecticut, you, um, the, one of the requirements is that the leader has a terminal degree. So,
1: wow, because I was going to say that is so timely, Uh, your Ph.D., your research project, and it's so essential in what you're doing with Relay, right, to get to understand the law and the legislation. I mean, I can't even say (laughs) to understand, (laughs) (laughs) to understand all the politics behind all this, right, the real power. It
0: was directly connected to my work. And the the funny thing is, I had no, I had no understanding. I had very little understanding of state politics. You could have asked me a few years ago, like, tell me the difference between like the federal government and the state government. And I, I would have been lost. I'd have been like, I don't know.
1: Um, I'm the same. I'm just starting to be educated. Wow. yeah, yeah, but you know, I realized that as a person of color, now I know it's POC, I'm a person of color. <laughs> I didn't know that before, but I I started to reflect on that. And I, I realized that one of the reasons why I didn't know anything about it was because I felt like it had nothing to do with me because I had no power in it. I had no say in it. And I guess I was wrong. Um, and I, I wish I had known it before. But I just felt like it was somebody else, I guess older white men's arena and I just never thought of it as me belonging to it or having any say. So I just kind of completely ignored it.
0: Yep. I think, I mean, a lot of that I find potentially is by design, right? It's, it's this thing that's far away. Don't worry about what we're doing. Think about like (laughs) the wizard of Oz. Don't mind the man behind (laughs) the curtain, right? Um, Yes. And then, and so for the last, you know, for two years, I, I pulled the curtain, and I looked behind the curtain, wow. and it just, very similar to the Wizard of Oz, like, I was like, this is not, these are not, you know, folks that are, that, that have all of this information, they just have a position in power, and like, so mm-hmm. how do we, as community members that, you know, vote them into these positions, how do we, how do we impact our laws that impact our daily lives, and how do we impact the people who are making those decisions? And we we can we actually are have a lot more power than I realized. Like after that's incredible. Work, yeah. So now we are we you know just a few months ago, Relay was recognized in state as in in Connecticut as a master's degree granting institution. You know, it took four years, eleven months, and fifteen days. <laughs> to get
1: wow! It. Wow! And I know you were a, a big part of that.
0: Push. yes from day one I was I, I have been here working on that and trying to ensure that that comes to fruition and all of the the barriers the kind of confusion the the requirements um you know it, it was it was not easy there was there was some controversy there was some confusion but we got it done and I think keeping at the core of what I was doing was I want to ensure that people who did not, have a pathway or did not see they had a pathway to get a master's degree in education, can have a pathway, an affordable pathway in the state so that we can have a more diverse teaching workforce. And once I kept that at the core, all the fights, all the, the hard stuff was like, it's okay, because I know what I, I had a purpose.
1: Wow. And and that was that's the hybrid program which allows people which I know most of your students are already working teachers.
0: Yeah, most of them are right? teachers or paraprofessionals or tutors. They've been in the school system or the district for 5, 10, 15, some 20 years and they wow. they just needed a pathway to they want to be teachers and they wanted to. They just didn't know a pathway that would work for them that was affordable
1: because they're working already. Yes. So it's hard to get a... So if you don't have a master's, uh, in, is this for
0: teaching? The master's of art and teaching.
1: So if you don't have that, what is that? How does that affect somebody who's already working in the field? Is it salary? Is it
0: prestige? It's both. It's both salary, mm -hmm. prestige, and um, you are not able to kind of fulfill the highest level of licensure as a teacher in the state. So to reach the final and highest level, it, the,
1: a master's mm-hmm. degree is required. Mm-hmm. Wow, I am so amazed that you just so that you just picked up this field and decided to get a PhD in it, and you have a mentor who guided you to do that, right? right?
0: I mean, who was
1: the person who pushed for that?
0: The um, the previous president of Relay, Norman Atkins, was really supportive. And just, the, I mean, just Relay in general as an organization, they do a lot of work in sponsoring uh, faculty members to pursue their doctoral degrees. And so it's part of the institutional, like, a fabric.
1: Which it should be, right? Because it's an education. and. Like you're educating people, so they're educating you. But that's amazing. So they paid for your um, degree. Yep.
0: So they sponsored my degree. And awesome.
1: It's that's fantastic. fantastic. Did you have to apply for it? They picked yep, you. You
0: apply for it, and you get selected based on the, you know, the, the importance of the degree and the work that you're doing. So, given that you can't open a graduate school or lead one in Connecticut without wow. one, it kind of lifted my priority level, I, I imagine, on the application.
1: Wow, and you're still smiling. and <laughs> <laughs> and
0: uh, was that like a re- remote program because you had to fly out there though? It was a hybrid program. Some of it was online, uh-huh. and we then would meet for one to two weeks um around the world. So we could be being at USC in Los Angeles. We mm-hmm. um held classes at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology um we went to hong kong yeah, we were we went to hong kong we were in wow. we had um uh an intensive class week in finland um and so, wow you
1: know, so you get to meet people from all over the world oh yeah the
0: cohort is based is with people all over the world so we also did classes in um in doha and so,
1: yeah i don't know where that in Qatar is in the middle east <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> i need to go back to school um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to have another podcast with you about Finland. Oh,
0: I can, can do it. Yes, can you
1: promise me? Yes, okay. Yes. It's
0: amazing.
1: I'm so interested in their education system. <laughs> the rumors um,
0: are true. I saw it firsthand.
1: It. Oh my God. Okay. So we're going to set a date for that. So you had a degree before that from Columbia
0: University? Yes. I had a master's degree. I earned my master's in educational leadership from Columbia University's Teachers College.
1: Okay. Wow. So, are you done with school now?
0: I, I am so done with school. <laughs> um, I I think. I don't. I think I really. I enjoy being a student. I really do. I love it I, too. I, mean, I love I, it. And so I don't know. Maybe like but an MBA, that would be interesting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're like collecting degrees. <laughs> I would continue to, but one of my mentors said to me, look, you really, you have an MD, you don't need any more degrees. <laughs> and uh, I still collect certifications
0: yeah. if I can. Yeah. Um, so, and before Columbia, where were um, you? Before Columbia, I did my undergrad, or I graduated um, from UC Berkeley with an undergrad degree in sociology
1: wonderful yeah. wonderful so you were out there in california is that where you grew yeah, up yeah i
0: grew up in northern california um born and raised so my undergrad i didn't go i didn't go far but i actually i say i graduated from uc berkeley but i had attended multiple community colleges and state colleges and i was a, uh-huh. a mid-year transfer into into uc berkeley so um i really benefited from like, California's state school systems is is incredible um You mean mobility-wise, because you were able to transfer? Because you're able to transfer, it's affordable, it's, you know, you, you just get an amazing education at a price that is just unbeatable if you are a resident of California.
1: So you, now you're uh, an eastern
0: northeastern tra-
1: transplant. I
0: am. I you am. miss California. I I do there's there's parts of California I miss so much. Like I I have a deep just connection with nature and in California you can be outside every day. There's not okay, yeah, for the most part, that, yeah. that's what I miss. But I get back there once or twice a year and visit family and friends. That's enough. I am I am very I I love Connecticut. Like I am this is home now for me. My <laughs> roots are here. So I'm I I'm not, you know, itching to get back to California. Like this is home. Uh-huh.
1: So speaking of your family and childhood, I want to segue over to your incredible story because I know that you are the first person in your family to even graduate from high school. Yes. Is that right? Yes. And then you went on to community college. How did you have that that drive, that motivation to transfer? Did somebody mentor you there? Who helped you?
0: Yeah, I, 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 I want to say there's like this like wonderful story. And yet I actually just think it's like the rebellious spirit in me. Like it was, it was rebellious for me to do something different from my family. And, <laughs> I, and so <laughs> I, I went, you know, my mom's single mom, she was raising two biracial kids one Uh one child that passed as white one that did not um in a predominantly white community and it was complicated and so when I think about like the 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 space that she created she school was a routine and you just kind of went to school and I wasn't expected to like go off and do these like amazing things in school it was just like that's where you go Um, but what (laughs) happened was, is that I went to a private, I was, I transferred to a private boarding high school and there everybody was just expected you go to college. So I, I, where Uh, I wasn't uh. getting it at home, I, it was very clear in my, in my high school that like, you just go to college. That's the next step for everybody. Uh, So I went to college.
1: So. Your mom is white and your dad is
0: black. Yep. My mom is white Great. and my dad is
1: black. American black. Yes. They're both American.
0: Yes. Okay. <laughs> you grew up with your mom. I grew up with my mom. I do not pass as white, my brother, my older brother does. So interesting. All right.
1: So I've been reading about this label like person of color, but pass as this <laughs> or identify as person of color. So.
0: <laughs> but I pass as that. I don't
1: know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. Interesting. So you grew up with your mom? Yes. And I know there's a story there. Yes. That was a really rough time that you went through as a child.
0: Yes. Definitely. So when I when I think about like traumatic events in somebody's life from mm-hmm. the from birth to probably the age of 20, Traumatic events were just kind of rampant. That was like a normal experience in our world—like physical, emotional abuse, addiction, kind of bearing witness to to violence of all kind and gun violence, homelessness, abandonment. It was just an, a normal in my in my upbringing, and wow. it's it's a fascinating kind of. Like to normalize kind of traumatic events, you don't know. And, and growing up in the 80s and 90s, there was not nobody was telling me like like this is bad, like this is real bad. But this, like this is my life, this is all I know. So how do you know <laughs> mm-hmm. that to be any different? So you felt like this was just this is the way it was. Yeah, like some people just had more like crazy stuff happening in their house, and and I just knew that whatever wild and crazy things happen in my family, you just go get up and you go to school and you just. Don't really talk about it. Like <laughs> that's, even if you didn't sleep all night, like or if I didn't. Maybe I didn't sleep at home. Maybe I slept on somebody's couch somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe I didn't sleep at all. Maybe there was, you know, police coming in and there you just never knew. Wow! What into your came, house. Into my house. You had your house. Yes. So this is
1: from when you were zero. You said as long as you can remember. As
0: long as I can remember, just growing up was a really kind of unstable childhood. So there was there. You just didn't really know what was going to happen. You could have really great. Moments or time spans, and then, kind of the, the the rug is pulled out from under you. And my brother and I, my brother's five years older than than I am. You just kind of try to figure out what to do next, and and how how to just stay alive and keep going, and make sure that you can kind of wake up and go to school the next day.
1: Wow. So.
0: The root of the problem was it addiction? Definitely, the root of the problem is addiction. My my family, um, maternal and paternal side, just have really mm-hmm. deep a legacy of drug and alcohol addiction and all that can come with that. Um, yeah. And so for me, as the the first person in my family, not only to to graduate high school, but also just being the first to to. I, I think this is once again is kind of the rebellious nature. I was like, I am not going to be an addict. Like, I am not going to do drugs. I am not going to drink out. I, I, there was a very like, I'm going to be different. I'm gonna, wow. <laughs> I am, I'm going to wow. be different, and I don't even know what that means. But like, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna do those things. And so the only way. So
1: you saw the wrongness right. going on. Right. You saw that it, this is not the way to live. Right. I was like, I don't want that life.
0: Okay. I'm not going to be like uh-huh. my mom, or I'm not going to be like my brother and dad. Like. That, but it was almost in a way, like I said, of being rebellious. Like I was like angry. So I'm like, I'm not going to be like that.
1: So you remember feeling like that, even when you were a little kid? Even when
0: I was a little kid. Yep.
1: Uh-huh. Just watching them, kind of looking at them, like shaking your head. Yep.
0: All the all the judgment, <laughs> not understanding everything that was going into it, but just like, I don't, I don't want any of this life. When I get to choose, <laughs> when I'm in control of my world, this will not be uh-huh. part of my world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. And so your brother also succumbed. I'm sorry to hear yeah, that.
0: Yeah, yeah. He I mean, now what are in our you know, later in our lives now we've you know, people are my family and my mom and, and brother are live a sober life, a much healthier life. Okay. So that's like really kind of a wonderful kind of you know chapter in our family. That's amazing. Yeah, but I mean for most of of their lives, my brother and mother, they just the what alcohol and drugs to them and just was created so much instability and how you kind of progress in that world you know I kind of watched within and from afar
1: and what about your dad he wasn't
0: with you Uh, my dad was not as as present in in the daily life um very much Mm with in like a kind of loving phone call away or if I needed to get away for a weekend. But even in that uh-huh. world, he kind of lived a, a very kind of free spirited, kind of party type of world. Not a PG rating <laughs> Not a, a PG rating world. Rated, right, <laughs>
1: world. Um, so you see all of these adults and older people acting badly around yeah. you. Right. So what do you do? Like as a little girl, did you have friends? Did you have teachers or neighbors?
0: I did. I had I had I had friend groups um, that really took me in and kind of my friends, families or parents took me in in different stages of my life. I also had books. I was a an avid reader, almost like secretively Mm -hmm. reading because it wasn't actually very cool in my friend group. So I was like the <laughs> one that I, I, I read a lot from a very early age. My, my mom always, I remember being little and she'd have me read books to her and I got really into books. And so as a teenager, there were probably three books that had, that I would read over and over again. They were, um, one was Go Ask Alice about a young girl. Oh, I read that. I did a book report on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so telling, right? Young girl, you yes. Into, like just like drug addiction and like what, right? And so I, I I remember reading that all a lot and feeling connected in some ways to that young girl's experience. Um, The Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison in high school mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. had a really profound impact, and I read that multiple times then throughout college. And then another wow. book um, I'm gonna read that. Yeah, now. another one was I Rigoberto Menchu." Uh, about a Guatemalan woman who that also just it was like these three books that just had these you had struggle you had difficulty and then and then what was the result of that for people some Alice not so well but (laughs) (laughs) like but for others like how they came out or how they got through those struggles were pretty profound yeah I I read a lot
1: that's incredible that's incredible. What about when you were like a little girl? Did you read little books like Beverly Cleary or <laughs> that was one of my favorites? Um, do you have any books that because I used to live in the library also. I had a similar upbringing, maybe not as bad, yep. but similar. And I would just live in the library. <laughs> uh,
0: my my go to's like The Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley High. Like, I think I might yes. have read every single book in those <laughs>
1: I love it. So you you escaped in
0: books? I escaped in books. What about TV? TV, not so much. Because in the 80s and 90s, there was like maybe one TV set in our (laughs) house. (laughs) <laughs> and my brother, he like, okay. he ran the channels. He had to turn a knob. If I got close to the knob when like the Incredible Hulk was on, I was going to be in big trouble. So, so. Oh my no god.
1: So your teachers were also, they noticed something in you? Yeah. So you're very intelligent my, people could see it. Yeah,
0: my teachers were like my advocates, confidants, and guides. Like oh they definitely, god. no matter, they were key teachers that no matter how rebellious I got in school, they kind of saw it as... You could say you could say they saw it as leadership though I might have been in detention, they were like no, but you are also a leader and kind of nurtured that in me like you're gonna lead these activities or you're gonna do these things and I and they kind of you know really pushed me to like you, you could do better, you could be better. Um,
1: and that so was- they saw it. they saw your potential. yes, definitely. And who you
0: wanna name some of them? Who were oh these Oh my people? gosh, there Mr. Stewart, my middle school PE teacher, Mr. Eberhart, I high school history teacher, I had the Mr. Swope. He was the he was like the assistant principal that did all the discipline. So I spent a lot of time in his office. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but he like even with all my trouble, he's like you're gonna you're going places, like you're gonna be all right. Wow. And I needed people to remind me or or share that with me because there were times where I just didn't see that in myself, so that was helpful.
1: Hanging out with you in detention, you can see your potential. Yes, yes. Got to spend a lot of time with you. You find
0: leaders in the most interesting spaces.
1: (laughs) Very, very cool. And were these teachers white or? of color. Yeah,
0: all of them from kindergarten until um, and, until the 12th grade were all white teachers. I actually didn't have a teacher of color or a black teacher until my freshman year of college.
1: Wow. They were obviously took you under their wing.
0: They really did. They really did. Uh-huh. And you know, in in my in my world, I lived in a predominantly white world cuz my mother, Oh, you yeah, did. my mother was
1: I was going to say you didn't look like your mom and brother at home. So did you feel like was there any tension from that in in your home you know, or did you did that make me feel even more separate and like I'm not going to be like you guys
0: <laughs> You know it was so interesting I in in hindsight I can see how complicated and how much turmoil that that caused me but in the moment my whole world was was just very white like it, like the kit my school didn't have Like out of a thousand middle schoolers, maybe only three of us were like black in some way, maybe biracial or fully Mm. black. So and but of course there was I gravitated towards uh, people of color. There was a very clear I was searching for something, but. The, those were not conversations to be had in my home. Your friend
1: groups, were they white? My or friend groups
0: often tend to be mixed. Um, okay. But I definitely had the kind of my black and people of color friend group, and then I had a white friend group. <laughs> and and very much, how I, I lived my life. I just went back and forth um, between But
1: people. it sounds like you moved pretty well through both yeah. cultures. Yeah,
0: I really, I really did. And my father, when I would visit him, he was very connected to what it meant to be Black and what it meant to be proud of your Blackness. And so I oh. had kind of this from afar, proud of who you are, don't deny your like, racial identity. So I, I had these messages of positivity about what it meant to be Black, even though oh, good. I, I wasn't growing up in the more traditional mm-hmm. Black community, in a Black family.
1: But you, this white community still had so much violence?
0: I, yes, I always think it's like the like, oh, then the the assumptions that we make around like, oh, but in that community, yeah, that community was like filled with addiction and like and like wow. domestic abuse. And it's just people don't talk about it. it doesn't get on the news. You don't it's so oh, much wow, more hidden. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's so much more hidden. Mm-hmm. So
1: this was a white collar, blue collar neighborhood, or oh yeah, what? it is
0: actually one of the wealthiest Contra Costa County in California. is one of the wealthiest counties in all of California. Um, so it is. Like- you,
1: had, you grew up in an affluent neighborhood. Yes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and there was addiction and abuse yep. and wow, yeah. and but in your home as well. Yes,
0: in my home and in mainly in the in the home, and you just when you go outside your home. You just don't talk about those things. But even in my friend groups, you know, that like I said, that in the predominantly white friend groups, there was all types of dysfunction happening. And you just it it just got hidden by the fancy stores and the well manicured lawns and and all the, the, the things that hide all of that in a, a fluent neighborhood.
1: Okay. I'm having a processing thing right now because <laughs> You can laugh out loud. I love it. <laughs> <You know what? laughs> I'm trying to process because, of course, is this my implicit bias? No. Because when you told me you grew up in an abusive family, that it was traumatic, there was addiction, I imagine that you grew up in a poor minority environment. Yeah, so that because you're biracial. And now you're telling me you grew up in a very affluent neighborhood with this, this same story. Oh my gosh,
0: you are totally having a moment, yes, like, <laughs> I my your bias implicit bias. Have... You had a whole you had a whole vision. Like your your picture in your mind was like, oh yes, I was giving you like telling you the narrative of the stereotypical impoverished black community. And yet at 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 no point did I ever say like I lived in an impoverished black community. <laughs> You're so right. It is. It's true. I, like that is. Yes.
1: No, that is. Yeah, because you gave me that whole story before, and you never said you grew up in an affluent mm-hmm. neighborhood. That was white. Yep.
0: <laughs> I did. That was not on purpose. Like I didn't like leave those details out. It was just like curious, but...
1: You're like, let me test her implicit I know, bias. Look so at see that. what she said. We just did.
0: <laughs>
1: this was live, folks. My brain, live. Oh, <laughs> Unimplicit bias.
0: Right there today. Like it's always there we're, we're always grappling with it. Right. Uh, I'm still confused <laughs> now.
1: <laughs> so your mom was um, an addict, but she's wealthy. Yeah. What does she do for a living?
0: Well, we, you know, there's always a, a, a community and part of wealthy communities that are not wealthy that need to live in the community. Right. So we, when we moved to this particular town um, in Walnut Creek, California, it, we didn't move with wealth. My mom was um, working kind of like administrative work and she commuted almost two hours into San Francisco um, each day back and forth. and she just you know, she's definitely one of those stories of staying with a company for more than 20 years and working your way up to uh-huh. like top positions. Um, wow. so that is what she did, even despite you know she uh, the addiction that she'd struggled with, she was able. She was very functional, highly functional in her workspace. And then we proceeded to move from like the small little apartment in this community, um, in the like block that was considered the the bad part of town, which is like uh-huh. not even bad in this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and we kind of stayed in this town and in this county. And the more she kind of developed in her workspace, the more uh, we were able to have get into larger homes and and have then vacation homes and so we went from being in a very poor and affluent community where, uh-huh. to to being affluent in a affluent community all in the span of my childhood.
1: Wow! Mm-hmm. So your mom is a hard worker, even uh, though she has an addiction. Yes. So she's one of those function highly functioning.
0: Yes. Yes, okay. highly functioning, um, very hardworking, and I take wow. you know from her, you know there's yes there's difficult times in our lives, but that, that you also see like where that comes from in her childhood and like how we progress through that. Was
1: she abused? Yeah,
0: so she came from a very kind of violent and an abusive and a difficult um, upbringing and was able to of turn that trauma into uh, and leverage that into doing much better and like Drive. Than, than what she was raised in. Um, which I think is also but she a-
1: brought along with it, like addiction and anger yes. and all the emotional, social, emotional issues. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's an amazing story. Yeah. So you're growing up in this affluent white town, <laughs> but social services don't hear about you being traumatized either or abused.
0: No. So, um, there maybe were some flags that like my school, my middle school, uh, I, I don't know if like they flagged for my mom or what happened, but by the age of 12, um, my, my mom just, just felt that I was not in a position. She was not in a position to, to care for me. So at the age of 12, I was kicked out of the house. Wow. And I entered into kind of a foster, a foster care system. And I, I didn't, Oh my god! I didn't return home until I was about 16. And, Wow. Even in that, I still stayed in this very affluent community, but just didn't live with my mother. I lived in different kind of foster homes and then like settled into one of my friend's parents, um, Took me in so I could live in their home wow. until I went to boarding mm-hmm.
1: school. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Were were they white? Your uh, yep, they were a white family. So you grew up with another white family. Yeah. So I spent a couple did more years with another white family. Did you see your mom and brother during
0: that time? Oh, uh, limited sometimes.
1: And so she put you in foster care because she was abusing you or because you were getting in trouble. Because or?
0: I was getting in trouble.
1: She was so you were getting in trouble at school, yeah. and she said she couldn't handle you anymore. Her, yep,
0: she's like, I can't, I can't do this now. This is this is too hard.
1: That is so traumatizing. Yeah. So you had a huge abandonment issue when you were in your teen years. Yes,
0: yes, you know when when your mom's like, I can't. <laughs> take care of you anymore
1: oh my gosh and you have inappropriate affect. i i, I know that one because i laugh too when i talk about my trauma do you really? like, and people told me that's inappropriate
0: affect it's, well, it's, 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 that's so funny if somebody tells you like you're like you're inappropriately having a response well at this point <laughs> I, I, like that's my response though i guess i it, like it it's so it's like so crazy. And so I just out of like, what? Your mom put yes. you out at 12. I'm like,
1: yeah. Yeah. you know. I like it. I like it. Cause I deal with it the same way. I laugh about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <The> kindred souls. <laughs> but so I'm sorry that happened to you. And your mom, did she keep your
0: brother? Um, so my brother was, uh, he had brought probably around the same age, so five years earlier, uh, was also kind of out of the house by his, choosing and kind of not i mean yeah by his choices but he was in and out of kind of correctional and detention facilities kind of oh starting at gosh. a very young okay. age and so uh-huh. um he wasn't really around as much in my teenage so he'd come in and out so we both we you know i think for my mom she just watched my brother go through such a difficult and like dangerous lifestyle at a young age Mm -hmm. that when she saw me start to become really rebellious and angry, she was like, I'm going to, no, we're going to cut this off early. Like you, this is not going to be acceptable in in my house. And so I think that was her way in, in hopes to like, I don't want you to go down a path that your older sibling went down. And also
1: she knew she couldn't handle her own emotions exactly. with you and she was traumatizing you.
0: Exactly. So like, I, if I, I don't have the wherewithal as a parent to be able to support you through this or to support you if you are calm. Like there's, we can't, this is not going to work. And luckily wow. for me, I was able to, she's still from afar, very much was, was tra- pushing me towards um, boarding school. Like so for high school. And so she's like, I will let me help in that. Maybe school will be the place where Rebecca gets some type of support and structure that, that I'm not able to offer in the house. And I did. That um, is where I got support and structure. So
1: so did you feel like happy to leave her? Because it sounds like you, it was miserable to um, live with her. anyway. I'm sure there's, I don't know, you're just surviving, right?
0: Yeah. Like in hindsight, it Absolutely. was very much a... I just survived. Like, I I just, I I just, I remember coming home and the locks were all changed. And I had a suitcase on the front, on the front, at the front door. And she wrote me a very, like a handwritten letter that just, you know, was, you know, I'm sorry. This You're gonna need to, you're gonna need to leave. You're gonna need to go. She told me to go with my father. I didn't wanna go to my father. So I just started couch hopping and then, the, um, my school, I was in middle school, my school found out that I wasn't going home. Uh-huh. Um, and somebody at my school called the police. And so I was picked up by the police at school. That was a pretty traumatizing Oh my God. That was actually more like I was more impacted by like my peers seeing police like pick me up at school. Yeah. Because I was like, I'm not in trouble. Like my, I didn't do anything wrong. Like my mom right. like, changed the locks. And so that's and then and so that was kind of a scary you know that was a, a scary space I didn't I didn't want to be in a, a legal a, a bad situation legally I didn't know I didn't understand like somebody say I ran away I couldn't have run away if the locks were seen right. that was confusing space but once it took about six six months for my friend's uh, mother to like kind of make an arrangement with my mom to allow me to live with my friend's mom thank goodness yeah. And then you went to foster homes too? Yeah. So in that six months kind of before I got landed at at my friend's house, I was in um, uh, different foster care homes that were not. What is that like? It wasn't, it wasn't like terrible. I don't, I don't have any kind of traumatic like foster care experience. It was just kind of people Uh who had different kids coming in and out in transition. And I just Mm -hmm. like, that's where I ate. That's where I slept. And then I went to school and I just tried to be at school as long as possible all day with friends.
1: Wow. And all this time you're doing well in school? No, I was doing horrible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just middle school. No, so
0: I really struggled academically in, in school, oh, in middle school okay. and high school. I was not an A student. I did not so, thrive in school until college.
1: Oh my gosh. So you went to boarding school mm-hmm. and how was that experience? And you're on your own now.
0: Yeah, that experience, the boarding school was really close to my home. It was only 20 minutes away. So it, 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 was your mom's my home. mom's home and even the, oh, okay. the the family that took me in they were only uh-huh. five minutes up the street from my home from my house like they, mm-hmm. they were in the same neighborhood so um boarding school was uh amazing it, it was life-changing I met a really positive like social circle really positive teachers and though I was struggling emotionally and I was very angry uh-huh. and sad it was it was definitely a community. Like I definitely found a community of support and structure. I needed st- structure and routine. I love routine. Which school was this? It's called the Athenian school in Danville. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And was this
1: all, um, was it white kids there too? or is it uh, mixed- Mostly
0: there was uh, an international community of uh, students coming from Taiwan and China, Korea. And then there was uh, mostly fairly affluent white families. And then They're also, they had a a strong program that brought in kids from more urban communities. So that Mm -hmm. my class in particular, it was the first time I Mm -hmm. was around a lot more students who identified as Black, which was really, like, really important for me, um, so that was positive for Yeah, you, right? I'm still close with my friends from high school to this day.
1: You lived together, right? Um, I mean, we brutal. did.
0: Um, I was there for my first, my freshman year. And then mm-hmm. after my freshman year, it was a boarding and day school. After my mm-hmm. freshman year, I moved back in with my mom and just commuted.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. So then you had a reunion with yes. her. And how was that?
0: Uh, it was great. I mean, we, like, I was glad to be home. I I matured. Uh-huh. Like, she had uh, matured and adjusted. And there, my step...
1: Was she sober by um, then? She
0: was starting to to really see her life in a more sober, sober way. My step, as she... Um, was in a really positive relationship. My stepfather, um, who I love dearly, that they got married. And and so that was like, things were getting better. Um, You know, it takes time and years, but you can just see in our relationship now, which is thriving and and fantastic, there's, You know, it takes time to heal and to grow and to learn. And even in adulthood, like at 16 years old, I like watched my mom do that and go through those learning and that that healing.
1: That is an incredible story. I mean, really that you guys both grew. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And that you reconciled. That's amazing. Yeah. And
0: we, you know, it's, it's always, and as there's always a process in our 20s, in my 20s, in my 30s, like we just we constantly grow and our, our relationship reshapes and the healing is done and apologies are made and it just you know there's it's never too late for us. That is so good to hear. Did you guys have therapy? Uh, maybe and I think apart. I can like think of maybe like one or two times that we might have gone to therapy together. My mom always taught me the value of, of therapy and and the importance okay. of having kind of a neutral party to talk to and help to get through things. And so like the, whether that was then of the school counselor in middle school or even in adulthood, saying, oh, I need, I need additional support and I want to go to therapy. And so that's something that's always kind of been part of her life individually and my life individually. Uh, and it's been really helpful.
1: Wonderful. So if you could tell me what are the things that got you through yeah. when you didn't have therapy?
0: so the things that that really got me through it's this uh, nature i don't like how to when my mind even to today but you as a child too is just spinning with stress like there's i i actively look to try to slow it down and to the way to slow it down or one of my favorite activities is just to Mm -hmm. be outside that might be like sitting against a tree and i just sit and i listen to the sounds around me. I can even remember being a little girl sitting at the bus stop, like outside of my house and just like sitting and listening, no book. There was no like, I had no phones then to like flip through. It was just sitting and listening to the sounds around me. Um, That is really calming for me. Yeah, yeah, I guess now,
1: so that's mindfulness without a name. That's like a natural so, right. human ability. But I never, you know, um, ability. Even looking back, that was
0: something we that we just put a name to it,
1: and now it's a fad. But not a fad. I, I mean, it's stress. very helpful.
0: I also sports were big. I played a lot of team sports. Uh, basketball. I played basketball. I was the captain of our varsity soccer team in high school. I ran like um cross country oh, would you play and now as a grown-up i do i really enjoy like extreme like hot yoga that is like, i like uh i'm a lot of no nope
1: <laughs> yeah because you can't think when you're doing hot yoga <laughs> not at all. I'm going to just like breathe out.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you have the mental resilience by just quieting yourself, becoming kind of using your senses. Yep, just naturally you did that in nature. Yes. And then you have your physical resilience because you're always, you know, I mean, they say if you had one wonder drug, it would be exercise. So <laughs> sounds like you have that also. Yes,
0: definitely. I love I love exercise. I'm not good at like individual, I need like a group exercise, like a team sport or like a group class and and then just deep breathing. So All these things that yes are now fads, like are like, meditation and mindfulness, not yeah, those were things that
1: I now there's names to uh things we do naturally to calm down, yeah. but maybe some people don't have that naturally, so but it's awesome to systematically do it, yeah, right? Definitely. Yeah. Do you ever follow like a system or or like an app, or I do you ever use I, guided meditations or anything like that? I
0: haven't, I've tried some guided meditations, I oftentimes fall asleep, so but that's, that's helpful, now. yeah. <laughs> I, I also, the thing that I use a lot is Audible. So I listen to audiobooks. But, oh, I love. Yeah. But I'm very particular about like the voice of who I'm, like I need a voice that brings me like joy. So I'll listen to like Michelle Obama's book or Trevor Noah over and over. There's oh. something about their voice and storytelling mm-hmm. that really like calms me. So that's something that I- I, was,
1: I love it. Yeah. I love that. So did you ever play music or anything? It sounds like you're very- um auditory sensitive I,
0: I a small <laughs> couple years in the jazz band playing the saxophone but that's i couldn't even nice. remember how to read music at this point
1: <laughs> you are an amazingly resilient person i know you taught for teach for america mm-hmm. that's another story we're not going to get into today I, but who did you look up to and it sounds like you had a lot of mentors who saw yeah. a lot of potential in you who's who no matter what you thought of yourself really believed in you and saw you're the future leader in you, right? Definitely. And so there's some quality about you that is able to be led by a mentor. Yes, yes. What would that quality be? Do you know? Can you name it?
0: Oh. Because
1: you're a troublemaker, but they're still like, oh,
0: yeah. I'm totally a troublemaker. I still think I still am. Um, what? Well, um, you have a brilliant smile. Maybe that's why. Thank you. Well, I... You know, I really see I, I see leadership in like in people who who are just joyful and kind and like are unapologetic about their like courage and kind of fight for those who have been like marginalized or who don't have a voice. And when I see people doing that in like loud ways or quiet ways. I just, mm-hmm. I'm in awe of them and I want to hear them and be led by them and lead beside them and help lead their work. That is, you know, inspiring to me and motivating to me. I don't believe in there. There can only be, you know, one person mm-hmm. to make a difference. I think we all need to, to know when to lead and when to follow. So,
1: And you're becoming a leader now. Yeah. <laughs> Or you already Damn. are. I mean, Damn. honestly, you're a leader. And I think what you said before was something that maybe people who are in power or who are teachers saw in you is that you have this love of learning. Yeah. yeah. You have this curiosity. A curiosity. Right? You say you love to learn. So they must have... As a teacher, you're a teacher now, like if somebody
0: loves to learn, don't you want to be, doesn't that make you so excited? It makes me so excited, but I also get really excited when I work, when this is what happened when I worked with kids, it happens when I work with adults. When I see somebody who's like, I don't like this, I'm not engaged. I take it on as like, oh, I just have to find like, what, what's your spark? What, what, what excites you? And I, it's like this challenge that I've become obsessed about finding what is going to bring a joy of learning to this human being (laughs) what do you do I mean it's either I I ask a lot of questions like I, Uh I ask questions like what are they like what are they into and then I try to find readings or articles or YouTube videos or anything that can kind of connect them to get excited about learning something new in a safe way and and that is something that I think made me a successful classroom teacher with kids I think it still makes me successful classroom teacher of adults it's just finding what somebody is passionate about or introducing them to maybe a new passion
1: wow so you just meet them where they are meet them where they are and then oh my god you're amazing (laughs) I'm signing up for that summit right now (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to see you and we have to do this again I would love
0: to I would really love to
1: and I, I wanna talk about like education and all that too because we're moving towards different, you know, designs, right? You're you're designing your own education there for teachers. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of great labs, a lot of interesting things I think that we just have to be like flexible and open to try things out and we might fail and we're gonna learn from that failure and then we're gonna pick it up and do something better and like that's okay.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. All right, I'm giving you virtual hugs. Me too. <laughs> You're so beautiful, and you have so much joy and so much excitement around you. I I love it.
0: Thank you so much, June. I'm really excited about this, and I'm really excited to talk to you in the future. All right, awesome. Take care. Bye.
1: Bye. Wow, Rebecca is such an inspiration to me. And you heard it from her, and it's such an amazing reminder. It is never too late for any of us. In fact, science is showing us that our brains can change till the day we die, no matter how old we are. So you can always change, you can always start now. And that is really the most important thing to remember at all times. And that's also the reason why I started this podcast, to remind everyone and myself that change is always possible, moment to moment, it's never too late. The Educator Summit is hosted by Character Lab. That's Angela Duckworth, the author of Grit, and really Graduate School of Education. I went last year and it was incredibly inspiring. This year, it's just a one-day program and it's online on July 22nd. The ticket price is only $100 and because it's virtual, you can attend from the comfort of your own home. Please see the show notes below for the link. I also want to remind you to subscribe and share this podcast with as many people as possible and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. These are all really important things for me to keep this podcast going and it's going to get better and better. We have amazing guests coming up and you can ask me questions for them at info at mindbodyspace.com. So until next time, this is Dr. Juna wishing you and your loved ones wellness.